everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, I couldn't help but notice this morning that everybody's smiling. Everybody seems to be in a great mood, and I think I figured out why everybody's so happy this morning. It's probably because it's just about that time of year again that we look so forward to when we get to pay our taxes. We love tax season. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that, right? There's anything we love to do. It's paying our taxes. Maybe even a few people here have their fingers crossed thinking, this might be the year that I get audited by the IRS. Please, oh please, oh please, let it be me, let it be me, let it be me. Well, no, obviously we, we don't get too excited about paying taxes and, and with good reason. But you know, if anybody knew the burden and knew the migraine of taxation, It was first century Jewish people. It said that anywhere between 30 to 40% of their income had been taxed. They had a temple tax. They had a pole tax. They had a land tax. They had a tax just to even fish. Romans would routinely even make a demand for, for multiple years of tax up front, payable right now at this very moment. And so as we might imagine, once all of that tax had been collected from them, the grand majority of these people were truly living in poverty. I mean, these are people who would have deeply understood the prayer, Father, give us this day, not our weekly bread, but our bread from one day at a time. And yet by far the worst part of the whole thing, though, And what really made their blood boil were the tax collectors. Now, I would say that they were detested and despised by the people, but those would be understatements. You know, the scum of the earth would have been the nicest way that they would have been spoken about. Words don't even exist that could capture the depth of hatred and and animosity that they had concerning them. And we might wonder, though, I mean, why were tax collectors hated so much? Well, because tax collectors were employed by the Romans, this means that they were working in concert with their oppressors, with those who were colonizing them. And so Jewish tax collectors were looked upon as being traitors in the most extreme sense of the word. But it gets a lot worse than that, though. And that's because Romans allowed them to collect extra on top of what they already imposed. This means that tax collectors were very notorious for extorting their own people. You see, they were getting extremely rich at the expense of their own country people. And so as a result of all of this price gouging and overcharging that was going on, There were people losing homes 
There were even people whose children were being kidnapped and taken away as slaves in order to work their tax off because they were unable to ever pay it. I want us to just imagine that we are one of those people whose land just got seized because we could not pay our taxes. I want us to imagine that perhaps we lost a home because of that. And the guy who was responsible for that is somebody who we grew up with. It's a person who we sat next to in school and who we used to go into um, synagogue services with all of our childhood. In our language, he's driving a Tesla while we're driving a shopping cart. This is why tax collectors were so utterly despised, ostracized, and disowned. And in the first century world, most of these tax collectors were not allowed anywhere near synagogue. They weren't allowed usually to make sacrifices in um, a temple. And, I mean, they were no longer even regarded as being the children of Abraham, as as all the rest of the people were. And yet, you know, most commonly of all, though, as we saw a couple weeks ago, most of these tax collectors, if not all, have been branded with, with the title that we find in the scriptures, the title of sinner, as if You know, they are the real sinners. They they are the real, true sinners. And yet, as Jesus stepped into a world as broken and as dark as this, and he began proclaiming that the kingdom of God was here, you know, the people who we would have expected to most embrace it were the very ones who most loudly opposed it and who antagonized it. While it is those who embraced it were the ones who people saw as the last ones who they ever would have expected. Two weeks ago, we began our series entitled Diamonds in the Rough. And two weeks ago, our very first Diamonds in the Rough were those prostitutes who had ears to hear. And this morning, out of Luke chapter 19, we find yet another diamond in the rough. And you are not going to believe what he does for a living. And so we read in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Well, we're introduced to this man whose name is Zacchaeus, and as soon as we become acquainted with him, we notice that Zacchaeus was not a tax collector per se. Or rather, as we see in the text, he was a chief tax collector. And with a great deal of of emphasis, Luke tells us, oh, and by the way, he was a very rich and a very wealthy chief tax collector. I think for the most part, our perception of Zacchaeus was stunted when we were five years old. For the most part, in the consciousness of the church, you know, Zacchaeus is a personality who lives on as this wee, tiny little man who climbed up a tree one day. And that's pretty much all our perception of Zacchaeus 
has ever been. And yet as we continue to really learn what a chief tax collector did and what a chief tax collector was was all about, we see and we learn very quickly that Zacchaeus wasn't some harmless little cartoon character. He wasn't some nerdy IRS agent who looked like Bill Gates. Rather, Zacchaeus was a vicious combination of of, um, Bernie Madoff and John Gotti. We all remember who John Gotti was. One of the most feared crime syndicates who's ever lived. A.K.A. the Teflon Don. A.K.A. the Dapper Don. A.K.A. Crazy Horse. He was the boss of the Gambino crime family who, who rose to his position by having his predecessor, Paul Castellano, gunned down. We know that Gotti was notorious for his flashy suits and for his charismatic personality. He was said to have raked in an excess of $20 million a year, spending decades upon decades loan sharking and tax evading and having people gunned down and dumped into the Hudson River. That's who John Gotti was. And in the first century world, This, in so many ways, is what Zacchaeus was and and what he represented in the eyes of the people. Again, Zacchaeus was not a harmless little guy, but, but rather he was violent. He was a Jewish mobster. He was a shameless extortioner who had zero regard for human life. A guy who would go about blackmailing people and whispering ominous and veiled threats in people's ears if if he didn't get exactly what he wanted when he wanted it. This is a guy who had people driven out of their homes and into the streets of poverty in order that he could live it up with their money and do nothing with their money but just light it up on fire in order for him to have some entertainment. Because after all, he already owned the color blue. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a bad, bad person. And yet the mystery is, though, that in the word of God, Zacchaeus will forever go down as a great, great example in the kingdom of God. Where, it, where despite of all of these horrible things that he did in his life, and all the lives and all of the heritages that he destroyed, regardless of his reputation, as Jesus comes into Jericho, Zacchaeus, his greatest desire in that moment was to see Jesus. As we continue in verse 3, Luke, he adds and he says that, that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and yet he was unable to because of the crowd. I think that's a very rich statement, that that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was unable to because of the crowd. And I mean, we can read that in a literal sense, of course. I mean, obviously he was short. As one minister had had noted, it was like Danny DeVito playing a gangster role. You know, he was a short guy. He couldn't see over everybody's heads as Jesus walks into town in the crowd. 
And yet I also want to impress on our minds this statement in a metaphorical sense. I mean, how many people can't see who Jesus truly is because of the crowd? How many people never experience the real Jesus of the scriptures because of the direction that the crowd is guiding them and leading them? And you know, no matter who we are, There's always something that is standing in the way of us truly seeing Jesus. As we walk amidst the crowd, there's always something there trying to divert our attention and to take our eyes off of the author and the perfecter of the faith. And yet what we notice, though, rather quickly about Zacchaeus is that even when the crowd is standing in his way, he does whatever it's going to take in order to see Jesus. We're in verse 4, as, as the child's song says, So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass that way. I just want to pause here for a moment and to point this out. Whereas Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector and the mobster, climbs up into a tree and he runs in the streets. This is not the behavior of a man of his power, a man of his reputation. I find it helpful what Ken Bailey writes in his commentary where he says that the nobleman with flowing robes never runs anywhere. He never runs anywhere because to do so would be humiliating. A man's manner of walking told you exactly what he was. And so in other words, what we learn is that men of Zacchaeus' opulence are never seen running in the streets. They are never seen climbing up into trees like nine-year-old boys. And yet when it meant fixing his gaze upon Jesus and looking at him and seeing him, he no longer cared about business or societal conventions. All that he cared about in that moment was was being able to see Jesus as best as he possibly could, even if it meant behaving like a child. And with this in our hearts and minds this morning, we can almost hear the words of Jesus to his apostles, can't we? Where he said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, will never even enter into the kingdom of heaven at all. You see, this is what God always has and always will be looking for. This is the kind of spirit that yanks on every string in the heart of God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21 that the hookers and that the tax collectors were entering into the kingdom of God ahead of the scribes and the Pharisees. And now as Zacchaeus draws near to Jesus with all of his heart, notice that Jesus does not run away from him. He doesn't recoil or or start yelling at him and condemn him to hell. But rather as Zacchaeus draws near to Jesus with all of his heart, the scripture shows us that Jesus draws near to Zacchaeus with all of his heart. 
where in verse 5 it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down, and, and he received him joyfully. Now, as Jesus was passing through Jericho, we would have expected many people in this town to have thought, you know, surely Jesus is going to stay at the home of the ruler of our synagogue. Or maybe he will stay as, as the guest at the house of a priest, perhaps. I mean, can you imagine the element of shock that went through this town? <laughs> when out of everyone in all of Jericho, Jesus goes out of his way to say Zacchaeus, Bernie Madoff, crazy horse John Gotti himself. He says, I am staying at that guy's house today. I pick him. And for Zacchaeus, imagine how much shock that he would have had upon hearing his name loudly called out in public. And rather than hearing a person saying how evil and what a wicked sinner he was. He hears somebody saying something beautiful and positive and joyously acknowledging him. And that the person who is acknowledging him is the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, God in human flesh. And can you imagine Jesus Christ walking through your door today going through your living room, sitting down at your table, eating food that you bought last night at Giants, staying and sleeping in your guest room. See, this is just such a beautiful thing that we see because everybody in society would have said, these two do not belong together. And that's exactly what happens as God draws near to the spiritually sick. Where in verse 7, we see this response yet again in the Gospel of Luke. Where it says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled about it. And they were saying that he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. He went into that sinner's house. Did you just see that? And so once again, it's Luke 15, 2 all over again. I mean, it was one thing when Jesus was sharing a meal at a table full of, you know, the um, tax collectors and um, prostitutes. That shocked and offended them enough. And yet notice now Jesus is not just merely sharing a meal with the chief tax collector, but he's made himself the guest in his home. He's staying at his house. I don't know if you remember, but back many years ago in 2008, AIG had been given an $85 million buyout by um, our government. And they evidently didn't need a whole lot of that $85 million because the executives had planned the celebration that, that we received an $85 million buyout. And so they spent a week at the most exorbitant resort that they could find in California. As the, as the receipts indicate, they were getting manicures, they were getting pedicures, they were whining and dining in the largest suite that they could, could find in California. 
and all at the expense of American taxpayers. Many of those people who were living paycheck to paycheck, who were facing foreclosures and repossessions. I mean, how do you feel about those people hearing that, you know? That ain't right, you know? Something about that makes my blood boil, hearing stories like that. And yet now imagine going to that resort in 2008 as all of that is happening. We, we may look up and we, we see them all up on the suites, up there on the penthouse balcony. Yet when we look closer, though, we see Jesus hanging out with those guys. He's right there in the middle with them, associating with them as they do that. I'm sure that our response would be, what? Why is Jesus with those extortioners? Why is he doing this? You know, Jesus does not belong with those people. I mean, this is how shocked and offended these people were when they saw Jesus going into the house of the chief tax collector Zacchaeus. And as the saying goes, Jesus came to comfort those who were disturbed and to disturb those who were comfortable. You know, anybody who we brand with that title sinner, you know, in that way that, that this is the only sinner in the world, we can be guaranteed that this is a person who the love and the compassion of God is poured out for along with us. We can know in our hearts that this is an individual who, if they had the desire to, could enter into the kingdom of God just as we did. I think about one of the guys who Jesus carefully hand-selected as his disciple. Of all people, it was a tax collector named Levi. And Jesus once again draws near to a tax collector. Not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. And now as Jesus stays at his house, once Zacchaeus has been able to see Jesus, now he has the desire to live for Jesus. Where we marvel at verse 8 every time that we read it. I don't think we, we really consider it enough though where it says that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, then I restore it fourfold. Well, at first, all that he wanted was a glimpse at Jesus. He wanted to see a celebrity who everyone had been speaking about walking through town. And yet as he joyfully as he joyfully receives Jesus into his house, and he sees who Jesus is, now what we see is this corrupt, violent extortioner do something that the grand majority of the crowd would never have done, which is repent. Where he says, Behold, Lord, and, and this is a name that so many people in the crowd, especially in the Sanhedrin, never would have called Jesus. 
He says, behold, Lord, the half of what I own, I am giving to the poor. That is a lot of stuff. And then he says, if there's anyone who I have defrauded of anything, that's a lot of people, then I will restore it four times as much. That's a lot of money. As Elijah read to us a moment ago, just one chapter earlier, we see Jesus standing before yet another man who was rich. He wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life, as we know. Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And and yet as his response went, his heart sunk, and he slowly sauntered away because, as we know, he had a lot of stuff and he had a lot of money. It caused Jesus to lament and to say how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the question that he was asked is, well, if that's true, then then who can be saved? And his response was, you know, guys, with, with man, it's impossible. And yet with God, it's very, very possible. And, you know, this is what makes Zacchaeus all the more astounding to me. When we read about Zacchaeus, I mean, this is the anti-rich young ruler. Zacchaeus is the camel that walks through the eye of the needle. He's the one lost sheep who the shepherd leaves the 99 behind in order to search and to save. Zacchaeus, as he returns all of this money and he gives half of his possessions to the poor, He is the wolf dwelling with the lamb that Isaiah prophesied about. This is the gospel according to Zacchaeus. You see, that would have been outlandish to their ears as much as me saying, this is the gospel according to John. Gotti. You see, because the gospel really is for everyone. Even for someone who has a past as dark and as hellish as this. Even that person can embody and inhabit the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. It was John the Baptist who said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Zacchaeus is such a powerful example and embodiment who exemplifies that just like love, Repentance is validated not by her words, but rather by her actions. As he gives half of his ownings to the poor, and as as he vows to make four times restitution, he's showing Jesus, this is how much you have changed my heart. This is how serious I am about living a Sermon on the Mount existence, even if it is bad for my business. And as we see lastly this morning, notice Jesus' response to this. Where he says in verse 9, that today salvation has come to this house. Notice, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I mean, for years now, Zacchaeus has been told and he's been made to feel as if you are not one of us anymore. You are not a son of Abraham. You are a son of a, well, something else. You know, I'm not going to say it, but that's how mad these people were. You're not a son of Abraham. Jesus says, oh, yes, you are a son of Abraham. And so Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I will love you. I will forgive you and I will redeem you because after all, it is those who are of faith who are truly the sons and the daughters of Abraham. It is those who are of faith and and who have hearts that are wide open to Jesus who are the people and the children of God. And so in his zeal, Zacchaeus climbed a tree so that he could see Jesus. And very soon, Jesus is going to climb a tree in order that he can save Zacchaeus and save you and save me. And so as we close, I just want to ask us, as we live amongst the crowd and as we walk amidst the crowd in this world, what is there about that crowd that is preventing us from fully drawing near to Jesus? What is standing in the way of us becoming who we were created to be in Christ? The eternal invitation that God gives to us is draw near to God. And as it follows in the text, and God will draw near to you. Whatever is standing in our way of us seeing who Jesus truly is, draw near to God with the heart and with the tenacity of the formerly corrupt, violent, mobster extortioner Zacchaeus. And yes, it will cost you. It will require honesty and it does demand sacrifice, but when we draw near to God, God is going to draw near to us.